In a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Randall is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Cam. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. And welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Zach Heilprin, the Athletics' Jesse Temple along with you. All right, so we've had an opportunity to see three practices since the last time we had a chance to, to talk. We got to see a little bit last week, but a lot more here these first uh, three practices this week. Uh, we'll get to all that, including what I think is probably the main story, which is that maybe the battle to be the starting quarterback isn't really a battle to be the starting quarterback maybe it's more of a battle to be the backup we'll get to that in a bit uh i did want to start on what was the biggest news off the field this week and and then really in the last week and that is quintess cephas being found not guilty on two counts of sexual assault uh the four badgers wide receiver is past that point and now we heard tuesday his uh Lawyers have petitioned the DUW to re uh, to, for a readmission into the into the university after being expelled, what in the spring uh, for a violation of the non-academic misconduct code. Uh, we don't know the exact violation uh, that ended up him being expelled, but that was uh, that's why he was expelled, not the criminal charges, uh, which I think a lot of people kind of get mixed up at times. But either way, that was that was big news. Perhaps the bigger news was the fact that Paul Christ without even being asked, talked about Quintez Cephas at practice, after practice on Wednesday. And then when you asked him whether he was open to having Quintez back on the field uh, or would you welcome him back if everything worked out, he said, if that's what's best for Q and he wants to do it, yes, we would. Yeah, and I mean, very strong for Paul to come out and say that. But obviously, you know, they've, they've known Quintez and, and been around him and five players spoke after Paul and all of them said the same thing, that they would certainly welcome him. And obviously they were all well-versed on what they would be asked going into that interview, but I thought they all handled themselves well and said that, just like Paul said, that they want what's best for Quintez, and if he should choose to want to play somewhere else, then by all means that you know he should have that opportunity. But you know Kendrick Pryor, who's very close to him, said that he, he hopes that he does have the opportunity to play football somewhere, and Quintez has made it clear that that's what he wants to do. But, of course, there are a number of steps that have to take place in order to get to that point and a lot of unknown questions that we just we don't have right now. We don't. Uh, and I should mention, as we're recording this Thursday afternoon, it's about 1.15, uh, Sevis's lawyers asked the UW for a response by today. I don't know if they'll get it, but that was their uh, request, and we'll see uh, how it plays out. So all this could be very moot by the time we talk about it, but I'm not going to, I mean, we're not operating under the idea that it's, you know, an easy, that this is what's going to happen and he's going to be back. I think that there, and there's more to the process than just simply him being allowed back into school and him coming to the football team. I think there's some uh, steps that have to be passed between those two points for him to, to end up back on the field for Wisconsin. But the fact that it's even a question, because I would have gone into last Friday, even him being, even thinking he was going to be found not guilty, I think a lot of people went into that process thinking that's what was going to happen. But even at that point, most thought, yeah, okay, he's going to be found that way, and then he's going to go and continue his football career somewhere else. I don't think anybody thought Wisconsin was going to be a possibility. At least I didn't. And I would say we obviously still don't know that answer, but at least we've got the side of Wisconsin's football program saying that they would welcome back. We don't know what Quintez wants to do. Certainly he wants to get his record cleared up so that whatever he may decide, if it's somewhere else, he can pursue that. And I should say that's the first, to me, that's the first step of what this is doing. This is trying to get his academic record cleaned up. Exactly. But as you're saying, 
And and yeah, there are some other questions, and and we don't know about eligibility status and how that would be. And obviously, he was eligible when he played, but he hasn't been in school. He was a good student since, too. You know, a, a full year, so he wasn't. Well, no, no, he wasn't involved in this in the spring, and he didn't participate in summer classes. Right, but I, he he finished off the fall, uh, and he was he was in spring for a little bit. Well, I, but he wouldn't have finished. He so did not again, finish. this is an unknown question: is we don't know what those credits would look like and and right. how long that would take. But again, you would think that if if he were to be readmitted, that would be a process that shouldn't be as uh, difficult as as some of these other things. But the big question really is, if Quintez were to get readmitted, would he want to come back to Wisconsin and the football program based on the way things transpired? Obviously, he had, this is not related to the football program, but it is related to the university that he sued the university. He did. Um, Back in uh, back in October, and ultimately dropped that lawsuit in March. But it, from a football perspective, I, I could certainly understand why you'd want to be a part of and be around guys that you are very close with. It would be familiar. It would be comfortable. You could get back to the way things were, and to have the head coach front and center saying that if that's what he wants to do, we would welcome him back. I think that's a big deal. There are a lot of people that are like, "Why in the heck would he want to come back here after what they did to him?" Well, the people that he that did that to him, quote-unquote, air quotes, because I'm not saying that's what happened, that's not the football program. Exactly. That's not the athletic department. That is other aspects of the university. And he put out a post on Wednesday night thanking everybody, and including you know his home uh, community of Macon, Georgia, but also the Wisconsin community, coaches, teammates, friends that stood behind him. And there were a ton of them. They did not throw him away. You know what I mean? Like, yes, he was suspended starting last August, but he was around the facilities a ton. He would show up. I know I saw pictures on his account from like up in the boxes during games. Um, you know, and we saw we saw him come in and practice, go through workouts after the team was done with spring ball at you know early early in March. And so he was still around. Like it wasn't that he was completely cut off and had no contact whatsoever with anybody. They supported him throughout. And so that to me is why he would consider coming back and why he would be wanting to come back is that Paul Chris didn't throw him under a bus, you know, and the rest of the program didn't throw him under the bus and say, he's done with, we're done with him and, you know, moving on. And I think that may be the one reason why he would want to come back. It, it wasn't just a screw you. You're no longer here. Get out kind of thing. So to me, that would be one reason why he would want to come back. And I guess we'll, we'll see. But in terms of a football aspect, he was their best receiver, and I'm not sure it was particularly close. And then he breaks his leg in late, uh, in early November that year, misses the final, what was it, four or five games of the year. But he had he was by far Alex Hornibrook's favorite target, and was their best player. He shows back up in the spring, and he you know it was kind of a slow get going there. But at the end of the spring, he was making highlight plays. He comes into the fall camp running with the first team. Like, he was going to be that guy, and I think a lot of people thought he had NFL aspirations after last year, would have had NFL opportunities after last year. He is, and I know he's been working out. Um, I know he spent a bunch of time working out, uh, was it Arizona or California? Phoenix, uh, Arizona. Yeah, yeah, uh, the last three months. So he's in shape. Football-wise, what a, what an addition that would be for Wisconsin if it ends up happening. Yeah, and again, many steps until we get to that point. But if it were to happen, speaking hypothetically, it would completely Chris, change hey, everything. Paul Chris spoke hypothetically. I, I think it's okay if we speak hypothetically. It would completely change everything because, as you said, yeah, he was the best receiver in 2017. He caught six touchdown passes. That was a team high despite the fact that he didn't play in the last five catches, games. Over and he yards. was going to be even better last season. Yeah. And, and I remember we actually – 
talked to him and the rest of the wide receivers like right before that news came out, right before he took that leave of absence on August 18th, and it was just clear. You could sort of feel he. I think he said something to the effect of just he, he was ready to destroy the the guy who stood on the other side of him, yeah. and it was like you could just see that mindset. Is shifting from the guy who just played sparingly, had like four catches, to he's finally got a role, and to now he's going to be the man and probably an NFL-caliber wide receiver, which Wisconsin does not get very often. And so if you throw that in, hypothetically, with Danny Davis, A.J. Taylor, Kendrick Pryor, if that were to come to fruition, man, that's uh, that's going to be awfully difficult to handle. But again... The Fatal Four, right? The Fatal Four, as as I self-proclaimed, I think they, they said that. So, but. Somehow, some way that worked out. And the, the hilarious thing is we asked... You, someone asked Pryor about what it would mean, you know, to have him back, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, well, you know, I know we had that nickname last year. I can't really remember what it was. Yes, you couldn't remember what it was." And I was like, uh, "Fatal Four." He goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's a talented group." And I think it was the group. I think it was something we talked about where it was potentially the best group Wisconsin's ever had. It did not play out that way. I still thought that it could have been a pretty good group even without Quintez, but I felt like certainly. Things were hanging over their heads that may have impacted how that season played out. I think that's completely fair to say. And, and you know, Garrett Groshek is another guy who's very close with Quintez. And I thought it was telling even in the spring, he sort of talked about just the spirit that Quintez brought to the team. And when you don't have that all of a sudden two weeks before the season, I mean, I'm sure a lot of fans don't want to hear about it because the year before the last five games, the wide receivers were pretty darn good and they completely dominated Miami in the Orange Bowl. But to lose that caliber of player, and as Paul described him as a connector, he unified many different groups, you don't get that very often. You know, Chris Orr is kind of that guy this year. You maybe have a handful on a team. You lose that right before the season, it makes a big difference, and I think we saw some of that last season. Garrett Groshek was asked about the connector and what does it mean. What, what, what did he say about that? Well, he, he talked about just Quintez's kind of jovial nature and ability to the way he smiles and people he has that type of personality that people gravitate toward him because he makes them feel good because you just want to be kind of in his aura in that inner circle and so I think that's something that is very valuable because you don't see that very often you may get guys who are just friends with guys in their class recruiting class that they came in with or guys at their position groups and that's not Quintez I mean you've got you've got Garrett Groshek um, you know, a white running back from the middle of Wisconsin, and uh, one of his best friends is, is Quintez Cephas, a black wide receiver from Georgia. I just think that's a very small aspect here that you see. It He can bring together people from different walks of life, from different cultures, different racial backgrounds, and that doesn't matter. And that's very important on a team of 100-plus people. Kind of like a chameleon. Like, he can, you know, whatever environment he's in, he can fit in. And so we'll see how it plays out. Again, notwithstanding how this whole thing played out, if he's able to get an opportunity, whether it's at Wisconsin or anywhere else, that's great. But, you know, if it's at Wisconsin, it's, I think it changes the offensive outlook. I don't know, I'm not going to say significantly, but it changes it because he was special and he had an opportunity to be special uh, for them last year. All right, uh, changing gears here, back to kind of what I mentioned when we, we opened the show, and that is the quarterback battle. I think most of us, a lot of us thought, including some of the players who I talked to during media day, thought it was going to be a two-man battle and it was going to be Jack Cohn and Graham Mertz and they were going to fight over the starting spot. Um, and I'll preface this by saying two years ago at this time, Jonathan Taylor was fifth on the depth chart and we all know what happened in the last three weeks of fall camp leading into that that freshman year and that fantastic freshman year that he had. But as I sit here today, after watching three practices plus a little bit of another, and they're now, what, through seven practices uh, total? 
it does not feel like it's a battle for the starting job. It feels like it's Jack Cohn's job, and it feels like it's a battle for the backup job. I would agree with that 100%. The very first full open practice we had an opportunity to watch was on Monday. And Jack, for every four or five snaps that Jack took, Graham and Chase would take one or two snaps. And it, it was, it's just not even close right now. And I think you can see that. You know, For all the things that we've talked about throughout the offseason, with the confidence, with the leadership, it's more than that. He's making plays. And he, he really demonstrated that to me on Monday. You know, they had red zone drills. He threw about a half a dozen touchdowns. He threw a handful of 40-yard touchdown passes in the 11-11 team and skeleton drills. And the other quarterbacks are still learning. And you're right, especially after watching practice on Thursday and, and Wednesday, too. I mean, they had three quarterbacks, and then Danny Vandenboom wasn't getting any run at all in those team drills, which lets you know where things stand, that they're evaluating really those first three guys. But it's, it's Chase and Graham, and they'll rotate who is the second quarterback in after Jack in a particular drill. So in one set, you've got you – know, they have two groups going all the time. Right. So they've got Graham or they've got Chase on one end, and one of those other guys is with Jack, and then they'll switch. And that's kind of how it's been. And, uh, you know, I, I would say, again, it's very early, but it would not surprise me if Chase Wolf ultimately wound up being the backup quarterback this season. I'm Looking certainly not saying that's set in stone, but – he, he's a playmaker, and he, he does things that are just a little bit different. His ability to keep plays alive, the way he can drop down into a sidearm angle. And I mean, today I thought he, he had – it was a really impressive drive. It didn't end with a score. He, he overthrew Jack Dunn, and he had him at the back of the end zone. This was the end of practice. But it was like – I want to say it was a double-digit play drive. Yeah. And he found Jack on a nice slant route where he dropped his arm angle, and it was just a perfect pass. I, I think he's kind of been a dark horse all along. And, uh, again, long way to go, but I wouldn't be surprised if he ultimately wound up being the backup quarterback. People are going to hate that. But um, but it doesn't mean that Graham can't be something beyond this point. It's just that, look, he's a true freshman still. For all the high school accolades, he's got a lot to learn. He's still making reads that the defensive backs know what he's going to do. I mean, he stared down Jack on Monday on an out route, and Caesar Williams jumped it and intercepted it for a pick six, and he threw a couple other interceptions today. It just doesn't mean he's not the most talented player in the quarterback room. It just means it might not be there right now for him to be the best guy to go out there and play now. What stood out about Jack so far for you in these first you know, these practices? What, what, is, it, is it different? Does it look different than it, than it has in the past? The difference to me is, I mean, it's hard to compare. The only thing you can compare it to is spring practice because any time before then, it's just not the same. Alex Hornibrook is getting all the one reps, so whenever Jack comes in, he knows it's as the two guy, and it's been it's been different in that. And even Paul Chris said this at, at the Big Ten Media Days in Chicago. Like, he doesn't feel like Jack is approaching anything differently, but it's in the way that his teammates view him, and I think that makes a big difference, and that kind of rubs off on the quarterback, right? You have a little more confidence. I think it's just the general smoothness with which he's playing like, yeah, he threw one interception on Monday, but other than that, there, there really weren't very many mistakes, if any. And I think I think that's a big part of it is you know, when you've got your starting quarterback or you're trying to determine a quarterback pecking order, it's who's going to be the most consistent. And he's by far been the most consistent. I know a lot of people make, uh, make a joke about the number of times Paul Chris used the word appreciate, like in, you know, in some of his uh, press conferences, but consistency is another word that he has used a ton, specifically when it comes to the quarterbacks and and Aaron Cruikshank and on on down the line of, of guys. But consistency-wise for the backups, I thought, especially today, Chase Wolf was really the better player today the, uh, on Thursday, during Thursday's practice. That drive you mentioned, there may have been some some issues at the beginning of it in terms of whether they got first downs or not because they weren't tackling them. They had officials today. That it was one of the first move-the-ball segments we've seen um, in camp. 
And, they, you know, whether it was first down or not, it doesn't really matter. The pass that you mentioned, the sidearm pass that you're saying, you know, dropped his, uh, dropped his throwing angle was perfect. Right in stride, drilled right on a slant. It was perfect. We haven't seen a ton of that stuff from, from Graham so far. But, again, it is early, and I think it's probably unfair to him to sit here and say, well, uh, Jack Cohen's your starter. And Chase Wolf's going to be the backup, and you know Graham's going to be the that third guy. Yeah, it's it's far too early to make any definitive declarations, but just based on what we've seen, it's sort of like a feel of what you know where we think things are headed. But that doesn't mean things can't turn around because, as you said, Jonathan Taylor is the perfect example. But I think it's a little bit different at quarterback Definitely just is. because you see more of them. Like right. if you're the fifth string running back in fall camp, you ain't getting very many touches with the with the top group. But at quarterback, you'll at least rotate in a decent amount. So you can see where things stand, which is why through the first week they can start to narrow down even to eliminate one quarterback, whether you know it's Danny Vandenboom who's not in the race, so let's evaluate these other three, in particular the two young guys after Jack to see where things stand there. I, I think you get a little clearer picture, but we know the skill set is there with Graham. So I always thought that this camp was going to play out like 2016 where you have you know two guys batting out for the starting job, and it has turned into a little bit more like 2017 where Alex entered as the as the known starter, and it was Jack and uh, Curry Lyles fighting for the backup job. And it, it feels like it's more played out that way. Uh, but again, a lot of time to go before uh, South Florida on August 30th. Um, all right, moving over to the other side of the ball with some of the, the defensive things that we've seen. And I want to go to the cornerback spot because people are starting to settle in. And we're starting to see uh, consistency in terms of guys getting first-team reps. And the past two days, it's been uh, Deron Harrell and Fayon Hicks at the corner spots. And it's been Deron Harrell pretty much from the start of camp. He's been that guy. Hicks has missed, I think, one. He, he went out early in one day. But it's been those two for the majority of the time. And I think, what do you think about that two, that, that pairing? Because I, there's a lot of guys at that spot. I mean, you, Rashad Wild Goose has been talked about. You know, uh, Caesar Williams, you mentioned him earlier. Uh, Dante Burton. I mean, there's a bunch of different names there. I mean, the thing is, as we're watching camp, it's hard for us to evaluate and say, like, this is why this guy is getting those reps right now because it's not like Harold's out there picking off every pass. But obviously, Jim Leonard, if there's anybody you can trust to figure out what's going to happen in Wisconsin's defensive back uh, field, it's it's Jim. And so clearly he sees something in Duran. And, and it's the growth. It's the When he came in, he was a wide receiver. I think he surprised a lot of people, including myself, even last year. He was one of the stories of the last fall camp because they converted him from a wide receiver, but he had that length and athleticism, and it's the ability to go and grab the ball at its apex and do some of the things that sometimes people make fun of defensive backs because it's like, well, that's why you're a DB because you can't catch anything. But like, that's not Duran, and so I think that's part of it. I thought it would be Fayon and Caesar Williams just based on what we saw in the spring, but obviously it seems like it's trending toward Fayon and, and certainly Duran, but they, they've got so many options, and Wild Goose is another one because he started seven games as a true freshman last season, and I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities this season too. And we've seen the other thing is when they put somebody in the slot, like Jim is rotating through so many guys. Rashad Wild Goose has been in the slot. You know, Madison Cohn has got converted to safety. He hasn't necessarily seen him a ton with the first group, but we know he can do that. Dante Burton could do that. And they've used three safeties a lot of times too, that, that which is, is a little bit different. To me, that's that's noteworthy uh, because it's not just – they used three safeties in the past when it was big personnel on offense, but they've been doing it when they've gone three and four – wide and so even in that in that sense it's kind of surprising because it's Reggie Pearson moving into the slot and guarding a wide receiver and that you know you would have thought that you would want another corner uh in that but they apparently have a ton of confidence in Reggie Pearson to be able to play in that role yeah I think it speaks to how good Reggie can be I know I've 
Because he's yeah, rolling with the first team at safety. Yeah, he, and he with, is clearly the the one with the ones with Scott Nelson and right. Eric Burrell has gotten bumped back into the twos. And he had and Eric Burrell had a good day today or day Thursday with a couple of interceptions. Um, but they love Reggie Pearson. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And rightfully so. He's he's such a smart player. I know he had a ton of interceptions in high school in Michigan. I I I think he was among like the the all time state high school leaders in that category. And and Jim has said before, he would have played last season. It's just that he got hurt. He made the two deep out of fall camp, but he was dealing with an injury. We saw what he did when he got his first career start against Michigan. I mean, he he's such a hard hitter. He forced a fumble, and every time there was a big play, I know I've said this a couple times, it was either Reggie Pearson or Leo Chanel in spring practice. Yep. And there's a reason why he's out there. Like, he's athletic. He can make plays. You don't want to be seeing him if you've got the right. ball in the open field. The, the interesting thing is these, these practices are not – where he can stand out because you're not hitting guys. Like there's no, we haven't seen full tackle. Like we saw a little bit in the spring. We haven't seen any of that. And I don't think, I doubt we personally will. I think the scrimmages will be behind closed doors, but this isn't hit the part where he's going to really shine. And yet I think he has stood out even without the ability to go up and whack somebody. Um, but Leo Chanel has uh, the play to end. Was that Monday or Tuesday? I think it was, I think yeah, uh, it was Monday, Monday, we, Monday, yeah. um, End of practice, back-to-back safety. Jack Sanborn came free on the first one. But the second time, uh, Nakia Watson stepped up and was ready to pass block. Leo Chanel at 250 pounds, just was like a runaway train, just ran right through him and ended up getting the safety. I know that Jack Sanborn and I know Chris Orr are the guys with the first team, but I don't know it. How do you keep Leo Chanel off the field? I mean, he's going to be in, impactful in terms of special teams, but it feels like you would have to figure out a way to get him on the field, and maybe they will, because in the past, they've rotated guys at inside linebacker. Last year was not that case because right. how how good both Ryan Connolly and TJ Edwards were, and it kind of left Chris Orr just having to sit around and watch, and maybe that's what Bob Bostad likes, and he, you know, maybe that's not his thing isn't really to, to rotate as it had been in the past, but Leo has been fantastic. Uh, and shows up almost every day. I was going to say that it would probably play out similar to last year unless you feel like Leo's too good to keep off the field. Worst-case scenario is he gets some experience, he plays on special teams, and then next year after Chris finishes his career, it's Jack Sanborn and Leo Chanel. Leo's going to get an awful lot of run during his Wisconsin career, and I know Badgers fans are just going to love the guy because he's 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 from a you know small town in Wisconsin. He chose to stay home. He's the best player in the state in his class, and he's just a physical freak of nature. Did he get... If he had played at a bigger school, perhaps uh, closer to the Milwaukee area, Madison area, is it different? We look, we talking about him differently. Probably, uh, I, I don't know. Different. I mean, in terms of like his other, recruitment, probably would have th- been. That's different. what I'm saying. In terms of other people getting involved in his recruitment, maybe we're talking about him differently as opposed to him being a three-star kid. That, yeah, uh, yeah. Just oh so, yeah, absolutely. Because the numbers, like he was he, like the first guy committed, one of the first guys committed in the class. Yes, and he he and his brother John were putting up ridiculous numbers like video game type numbers i think leo i I wrote a story about this like he had a playoff game um uh, the numbers escaped me but he rushed for 200 plus yards and he had like 22 tackles and he threw a touchdown pass like he could do it all but I, i feel like whenever you're at a small school there's always in the back of your mind if you're evaluating a prospect you sort of wonder like okay well what would this look like if you were really playing the top caliber talent well, he's at Wisconsin now, and he's one of the best players on the defense, certainly among that linebacker core. And so, yeah, I think it probably could have been different, but obviously other teams' losses Wisconsin's gain. That's why Wisconsin scours inside the state, and it doesn't matter how small the school, and they get players like Leo, 
and they're going to be very impactful for a long time. They are. Getting into a little bit of, of the injuries, there's been some nicks. Obviously, you want to get to August 30th as healthy as you possibly can. Uh, they've had some guys sitting out. Uh, Garrett Rand sat out today. I think that was – he said it was rest, right? Um, he missed all of last year. We've seen Isaiah Laudermilk missed the last two days. Uh, Tyler Biotich has been limited. Cole Van Lannen has been limited. Any concern at any level for any of that? And uh, those are obviously very key guys that you need to have on the field, especially Laudermilk and Rand. At this point, I wouldn't have any concern about it. And, and we talked to Tyler Biotich after practice on Wednesday. And, I mean, it – those guys don't really have anything to prove right now. Like it's on the offensive line, like with Van Lannan and, and Biotis, it's just make it healthy to the season opener. And so unless unless these guys are out the entire fall and don't have an opportunity to really get back into the groove in time for the season opener and you see them like walking around with a massive boot, unless that happens. But this is what happened last year too. I mean, we we saw a bunch of their starters but they were I mean sit those, a bunch of time. Uh, yeah, but on the I mean on the defensive line like obviously Rand was out for the I year mean, well I'm before to, I was, was referring to surgery. Yeah, obviously I was referring to the offensive line. Uh David Edwards missed time, Ben Shaw missed time. Uh Dieter Dieter may not have missed time, but John Deedson missed time like although Tyler missed time and by the, and when the season opened they were not hitting on all on all cylinders. If it goes into next week and we'll, we'll so we have an opportunity to watch eight practices during a 10-day span or 10 practice span or something like that. If by the end of next week we still haven't seen either of those guys, then I think maybe you start to wonder what's that going to look like. But for now, a couple practices with guys that that you know their roles are solidified, like I'm I'm not worried at this point. Yeah, but we know those roles are solidified, but we don't know the roles around them solidified. And as a result, we've seen guys have to move. Like Jason Erdman's been working with the first team at center. Caden Lyle's been the first left guard. And uh, Tyler Beach has been the left tackle. And so guys that need time together, we're not getting it together. Yeah, that 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 is a completely fair point. And again, if it if this is still going on next week and you're two weeks out from the season opener, then maybe it's a little bit different conversation. I guess at this point, I'm just not that worried. You know, yeah, it's great to get reps together, but you need the, your best right. five to be healthy. Right. On the defensive side, I would agree. It's all about getting to August 30th healthy, especially those two guys. With Rand and Laudermilk, those guys changed the look of a defense, the face of a defense, having them on the field. And without them... The depth all of a sudden is challenged once again. Uh, without him, it's been David Pfaff and Matt Henningsen, the starting uh, defensive ends. And then behind them, it's, it's today at least, it was Boyd Dietzen and uh, Isaiah Mullins. And so um, you need those two guys. Yeah, I, I wrote a story earlier this week about the defensive line. And, and uh, we have something before called— Before the injuries. Yeah. i got to get it in there before they get injured, right? Completely right. change the story. No, yeah. but— so we have, um, at The Athletic, we use this advanced metric called Sports Info Solutions, and it's got all sorts of crazy numbers that it can find, and I thought this was pretty telling. It makes you realize just how much of a step back they took on the defensive line last season because they didn't have the players that they needed up there and healthy. In 2017, Wisconsin allowed every rush, the average yards per carry before contact was 0.4 yards, which is almost nothing. Yeah. That was first in the Big Ten. Last year, the average yards per rush before contact, was 2.1 yards. That's a difference of almost two yards per carry every single time you touch the ball before anyone even touches you. So it's like no wonder they took such a huge step back. It's not just the defensive line, obviously. I mean, it's the linebackers, too. We know Andrew Van Ginkle wasn't healthy last year, but defensive line are your run stoppers. And Inoke Brechterfield, the defensive line coach, said, like, that's our number one priority. It's been our biggest emphasis this offseason is we have to be better at stopping the run. 
And you're not going to do it as effectively if you don't have Loudermilk and Rand, who are supposed to be your two starting defensive ends. What have you thought about some of the young guys? We've seen Keanu Benton get reps uh, with the with the twos, but for the most part, I mean, obviously we've talked about Leo and we've talked about Graham, but any impressions of some of the some of the early young guys? In terms of like the true freshman type guys, I I, I feel or like even it's guys too... that we didn't we didn't see last year. Yeah, I feel like it's for the most part too early to to make any determinations about like the youngest of the young guys. I mean, Brechterfield was really coaching up Keanu on Monday about, you know, small details and things that you need to learn when you're a true freshman because you just you you, you don't have to do that stuff at high right. school. Like, yeah, I, you Keanu, can Keanu even in the Big 8, which is one of the bigger school, you know, has some of the biggest schools in the in the uh, in the state in it. You're not facing the no. same type of guys size-wise as you are right now. And not, he was able to yeah. beat up people because of his size. Yeah, not even close. Uh, you know, that there's film of him taking on two offensive linemen who are just like way smaller than him, but still get the leverage, which shouldn't happen. But then it doesn't matter because he's a hundred pounds bigger than the other offensive linemen. And so it's like, you, you can't get away with that in college, but you know, I, I mean, Isaiah green may, I, I guess he's young ish. Yeah. Like we haven't seen guys, him very guys, much. We haven't seen very much to me. He's one of those guys that has stood out that we haven't talked about yet because he's been running with the first team defense, basically this whole fall camp opposite Zach Bond. Yep. And we know about the length and athleticism and the way he can affect, uh, you know, the, the pass. And, I mean, even sometimes they do these one-on-one pass rushing drills. And on Monday they did it, and he just destroyed one of the tackles. And it's just like you, you see a small moment like that, and you realize why this guy could be a difference maker at outside linebacker. So if, if you're looking for a young guy who's going to make a big impact, I think it's he's one of those guys to watch. What do you think? Have you – we kind of joked about this when we were watching practice today, but the backup running spot, backup running back spot, obviously Jonathan Taylor and, and Garrett Groshek, and I'm, I want to get to their roles on the field together, but behind them, and we've seen a little bit of Bradrick Shaw, we've seen a little bit of Nikia Watson. That's about it. I mean, I'm not sure anybody has grabbed it. No, I, I, and we were talking about this at practice. Like I have not seen enough of either of those guys to say, this is who the backup running back is going to be. I mean, Julius Davis out with a core injury, not a huge surprise. We know he, he underwent the the offseason sports hernia surgery. It probably would have been asking a lot for him as a true freshman coming off an injury to, to come in um, and, and fight for time. I think, yeah, Bradrick and Nakia are the guys. They're, they're different. You know, Nakia obviously fits the Taiwan deal mold that they would like to have uh, to compliment Jonathan. But, I think there's it's still to be determined. Like there, there's no every time they're with the twos, it's not like okay, this is the guy that they're putting in. They're rotating between those two guys. I think it's going to be a battle that goes on through fall camp. What have you thought about Bradrick Shaw in terms of what he's looked like? You know, this is uh, gone for what eighteen months. I mean, we're about that clear of where his injury took place. Almost two years now. I mean, it was well, like November, November twenty seventeen, and yeah, today I is mean, August, early August. Yeah, so closer to two years than. No. In one year. Closer to two about, years in one year. I said about 18 months. All right. Right? Semantics. We're not going to have an argument about this. Either way, we're, we're getting to that point, and I haven't seen explosive explosiveness from him, but he's looked better than I probably thought he was going to at this point. I don't know about you. Yeah, everybody wants it to happen, I think, because they they know what he's been through and what he was before the injury. But just because you want it to happen doesn't mean it will. I mean, I think it's been great that he's been back in there. I mean, doing eleven on eleven team drills. I don't know. It's still, it's still kind of a wait and see. So, I think it's still up for grabs. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, so, getting back to uh, Garrett Groshek and Jonathan Taylor, uh, 
We saw it on Monday first, and we're like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, Jonathan Taylor and, and, and Garrett Groshek in the backfield together at the same time. And uh, we decided not to say anything about it at the first practice. Had an opportunity to talk to Paul Christ afterwards uh, on Wednesday. And even before, like, you barely got your questions started. And he's like, shh, shh, <laughs> shh. Um, but he I, did. I said, should I not ask about this? But, <laughs> I mean, it's out there. It's out there. Uh, we're not going to speak about exactly what it is, but it is definitely a new wrinkle that I think people will be excited about. Uh, Garrett Groshek certainly has said the defense kind of doesn't know what's coming because of them in the backfield, and there's variations of it that uh, will play with the defense, I think, for sure. Yeah, and so I had an opportunity to talk to some of the defensive guys after practice on Thursday and ask them about it, and I mean, I think they're just as excited as the guys on the offense, and Chris Orr is going through all the possibilities of what they could do. Well, you could have both of them running out on a wheel route, or you could have one guy going here, one guy going there. Like, yeah, it makes life more difficult for a defense because – not only are you planning to stop the best running back in the country, but you also got to deal with another guy who I think has been extremely underrated outside of this program because of how valuable he is. You know, yeah, we talk a lot about what he is as a as a pass blocker and as a pass catcher. He's also a pretty darn good runner. He's the second leading returning rusher behind Jonathan Taylor, and I think it's a challenge for defenses to figure out, well, where's the ball going to go? Does it feel – this is – Kind of ridiculous. Me and uh, some, uh, me and uh, Jay Kogrowski from BadgerBliss.com were, were joking about it over uh, Twitter the other day. Paul Christ getting back to Paul Christ, being Paul Christ. Does it kind of feel like that? Where you're, you're getting a little bit more diversity. Where I think a lot of people thought, where did Paul Christ from 2010, 2011 go? Where did that guy? Where did that? I don't want to say offensive genius. I think that's way too much. But it feels like, as opposed to just being status quo, which it which it had been for the past four years. This is getting outside of his box of being com- of comfortable and drawing things up and making it so you have to prepare for a whole bunch of different things as opposed to, you know, different formations of the same exact play. I think Paul was pretty open and honest in, in talking to us as much as he, he's going to be in, in Chicago about just taking a, a self-evaluation of what the coaching staff did and, and how they needed to better prepare the team to win games. And obviously this is a part of it. I mean, I think certainly fans are going to see some new wrinkles this season that have not been the case offensively, certainly for the the last several years. And, and obviously the goal is to be as effective as you can be as an offense and utilize your best talent. And, and I, so I think it's, it's certainly exciting to see because what we saw last year, you had the best running back in the country. We, we've talked a lot about the, the, the what we didn't see from the quarterbacks, but it's not good enough just to have a guy that rushes for 2,000-plus yards. Well, they still lost five games, and obviously I know the defense plays a big part in that, but the offense needed to be better, and they're trying to find any way they can to be as good as they can be, and I think that's exciting. And I don't think I'm – the run-pass options that we've seen in practice, I don't think I'm going out on a limb saying – because everybody's doing it. But you saw Minnesota in that game against Wisconsin in last year where it was just run straight ahead, straight ahead, pass run option. And if the, the linebackers got up too tight, right over the top with the, with the, with the wide receiver. And I feel like Wisconsin learned from that. Um, I think we may see that a bunch from Wisconsin this year. Uh, there's just so many different variations. And we've seen them in the shotgun more than I can remember. And I thought it maybe I saw it Monday. And I thought maybe it was just the final install and we're, that's kind of, they're just in that phase. But we may see it more than ever. And I think Jack Cohn, at least last year, that was when he was at his best. Yeah, I asked him about that at uh, at media day. That I mean, we know, like he he did it did get, in in high school. Did you get ten words out of him? 
a few more than 10, but I mean, he, <laughs> he, he talked about that that's what he did in high school. And while he can play under center, he thinks he's a little more comfortable in the shotgun. So like you want to cater to the, the strengths of your players. And I, I you're right. When, when Jack was at his best, those two touchdown passes he threw against Purdue out of the shotgun, the, the touchdown that he threw against Miami to Kendrick Pryor out of the shotgun. So, and same with Graham, he played in a shotgun spread system. So yeah, they're still going to be under center. Uh, but I do think you're going to see a little bit more shotgun. And if it makes the offense better, why not you use it? Uh, we'll finish up with this. Uh, just talking about the wide receivers a little bit more. We haven't, I mean, we've talked about Quintez Sivas, but I feel like several guys have stood out to this point. Aaron Cruikshank, as Paul Chris said, has flashed. He's had a couple of big plays. We all saw on SportsCenter and Bleach Report and everywhere else, his catch and the one-on-ones, the one-handed OBJ catch that he had Monday. A couple of guys, I mean, Jack Dunn, has has played a bunch, and we've seen some big prior, uh, big catches from him. Kendrick Pryor, Danny Davis had a fantastic catch uh, on a bit of an underthrown ball, went up and got it. Uh, Kendrick Pryor had that same thing today. But Adam Krumholtz has also uh, garnered a lot of, uh, I guess, talk from whether it's A.J. Taylor or Kendrick Pryor and those guys uh, talking about him. What has stood out to you from that? The talent and the depth. But, I mean, I, I always caution about Wisconsin. Like, if you're the fourth receiver, I, I don't know how many touches you're actually going to get, but it makes a big difference if you've got someone like an Aaron Cruikshank who can make plays that other guys can't. And that was just one example, the one that wound up going viral, the one-handed catch. But it's they've talked about being better as a unit, too. Like, being smarter, understanding how to read defenders, like get in and out of breaks better, give the quarterback as much time as possible to catch the ball. And so I think it's refining the small details because your top three, they've been together now for three years um, and played, I thought, that statistically had pretty solid years last year. I mean, I think they combined for 95 catches, over 1,200 yards, 11 touchdowns. Like it could have been better, but it obviously all wasn't on them. But I think you're going to see a better group this year for sure. I think they're and I think maybe we talked about this last week. They got to throw the ball down the field. They need to. They have to. They. It felt like the offense was was all within ten yards of the line of scrimmage last year, and there just were not many shots down the field. And whether you want to put that on the quarterback or the wide receivers or just the scheme itself, I feel like that has to change, and I feel like it will. I know that in talking to Ted Gilmore during media day, he was adamant that they weren't given the opportunities to do it. They want to do it. They weren't actually given the opportunities to do it. And in talking to the wide receivers, they feel like they're going to have an opportunity to push the ball down the field. Now, who throws the best deep ball? I don't think it really – I mean, I'm not really sure it matters. Um, But you have to give the guys a chance, like you did in 2017, of going up and making plays on 50-50 balls. I mean, we saw Danny Davis do that consistently and Quinton Cephas do that consistently in 2017. And even A.J. Taylor, like in in the Orange Bowl – go up and make plays on balls that, you know, and catch a prior for that matter too. They've all done it. Let them go and have that opportunity to do it again because you have you have to. There's just no way you can have a running back like Jonathan Taylor and, you know, now Garrett Groshek and the rest of these guys and having a running game as strong as you do without being able to take shots down the field in one-on-one coverage and let your guys make plays. Trust your guys to make plays. And Alex Hornibrook did that in 2017. The quarterbacks, including Hornibrook, did not do that last year. I don't know how you feel about that. I mean, I would you agree? Is that fair? It's totally fair, and I completely agree. And I think they've got the athletes and the playmakers to do it, so why not try it as long as you've got a quarterback who feels comfortable enough to deliver the shots down the field? It, we know they're not going to do it a ton, so when you do it, you have to make it count. But I, I think we've seen fall camp has further illustrated this. Like Danny Davis is going to go up and, and give it his best shot to get the ball. And, and you mentioned that one play. It was they, they had the ball at the 30, and it was underthrown. It was down the right sideline. He came back to it, and he caught it at the four. 
Um, and it's like it takes a special talent to be able to do that. And so you want to you want to air it out and, and try it at least a few times every game. And to me, we haven't seen a ton of overthrows. Like there's only there's been a couple overthrows, but most of them have been on the mark or underthrown. And I don't think underthrown is a horrible thing when you you just you have don't don't overthrow it. At least let your guy have a shot. Underthrow it, put it on the mark, whatever you want to do. Give your guy a shot to have a to be able to make a play on a 50-50 ball. And if Quintez Sivas comes back, that guy was as good of, as any at going up and getting the ball uh, those 50-50 passes. I don't. I'm not trying to put too much on this, but if he does end up coming back, and I still think it's less than a 50 percent chance, the offense just looks different. It looks different. I mean, having him in the, in the lineup to go along with the rest of those guys, right? Yeah, you, you're smiling at me. I don't know what the smile is for, but I just way, don't have anything else to say any, about you him. Don't, you don't have anything else to say except for <laughs> I think you nailed it. Quintez Cephas, uh, difference maker, field tilter. We'll see if it ends up happening. Uh, with the Badgers this year, or if he ends up somewhere else. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right. You've been listening to The Camp on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.